we're going to fall in life, yeah. right? There is going to be some sort of adversity that we're going to face. We're going to have to get back up. And I tell my son this because I want him to learn this young. Buddy, you're going to fall on your bike. You're going to fall in other ways. But the point is, is how do you get back up? That's the most important thing. Because if you get back up with a different attitude of try again or this won't you know, conquer me, I have the power to get back up or whatever it might be, the framework of your mind in those moments is super powerful and shapes in many ways how you see the world. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. If you have specific questions or concerns, we encourage you to consult a health professional in your local area. From Changelog Media, this is Brain Science, a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to transform our lives? I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Dr. Marielle Reese. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Hey, Maria, what's going on? <laughs> Doing good, you know, trying not to count the days. I saw this meme recently that stood out to me, and it had the front portion of every day of the week X'd out. So instead of Monday, it was just day, Tuesday, day, <laughs> like, you know, so it seems as though a bit of the days are blurring together. So it's a day. Oh, yes, it is a day. So I'm super excited to talk about um, what we're going to today because I think it's really relevant, not just now in what everyone is walking through, but just in everyday life. And so it was Nelson Mandela who said, the greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. And at this is this concept of resiliency. Like, how do I practice? How could I be resilient? So... I had this experience when I was traveling in Israel and, right, always looking for keepsakes that help me remember certain relevant things. And there's this little jeweler that we went into, my friends and I, when I was looking around in uh, Jerusalem. And it was really, really cool. This just inscribed in Hebrew on this little ring said, this too shall pass. Yeah, And I think that that reminder is so important because resiliency doesn't mean the sense of, you know, I'm never going to encounter obstacles or it's not going to be painful or upsetting, but rather realizing I have the opportunity to adapt and that things, even though they're aversive, will pass on. Yeah. That they're not going to last forever, even when it feels like it could, right? Yeah. Some might uh, have watched one of the Batman movies, one of the more recent ones, the trilogy, the recent trilogy from Christopher Nolan. And uh, in there, the the dad says to young Bruce at the time, he was in this well, he fell down, and there were bats and stuff down there. It's all part of his psychological breakdown to become Batman eventually. But the point is, is that 
he fell into this well, and his dad comes and rescues him. And he says, why do we fall down, Bruce? And, of course, young Bruce doesn't understand why. He says, so we can get back up. I could be paraphrasing, so correct me if my exact phrasing of it isn't uh, isn't exact that makes it a paraphrase. But the point is, is he says, the reason we fall mm-hmm. is so we can get back up. Yep. And I tell my son this, too. It's, it's interesting to, like, hinge these things back, this wisdom back to a ring in Jerusalem. This too shall pass, however, is better wisdom. <laughs> but then also back to Batman because, you know, we're going to fall in life. Yep. Right. There is going to be some sort of adversity that we're going to face. We're going to have to get back up. Mm-hmm. And I tell my son this because I want him to learn this young. Buddy, you're going to fall on your bike. You're going to fall in other ways. But the point is, is how do you get back up? That's the most important thing. Because if you get back up with a different attitude of try again, you know, or this won't, you know, conquer me. I have the power to get back up or whatever it might be. That's the, the the framework of your mind in those moments is super powerful and shapes in many ways how you see the world. Yeah. So the word resilience actually comes from this Latin word resilio, which means to bounce back or retaliate. Mm-hmm. So this sense of emotional resiliency is intertwined with self-belief, like what we think about ourselves, what we think about our world, with this sense of compassion as well as sort of enhanced ways in which we think. It's the way in which we actually empower ourselves to perceive our adversities as temporary and keep evolving through the suffering that comes with it. The temporary thing is interesting because when you're in the moment, and there's obviously a wide spectrum to adversity. It could be today's trials and tribulations, or it could be a year-long you know, year of grief, it could be a lot of different things in which knocks you down. This idea of temporary, because when you're in the middle of something, often the thing that makes it hard to get back up or the process of getting back up is because you can't see the entrance or the exit of the hallway you're in. Yes. You know, you, you kind of feel lost in this moment of not so much depression, like mental depression, but like this depression of your life, like something is pressed upon you, something is is keeping you down. You know, for whatever reason, and you kind of get lost. That temporary thing is is kind of key because no, there is an end to most everything. What goes up must come down. There's always an opposite. Yeah. But you know, you can often get mentally lost in a challenge of life and just feel like I my only option is to give up because I can't see the end of this. Right. But thinking about it, yeah, very much like a tidal wave or a tsunami of like I got pummeled, <laughs> like. I got nothing left to get back up with. But, you know, we are fundamentally designed to adapt. That's how we've survived all these years is like the figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So being resilient doesn't mean that you're not going to experience difficulty or distress. But actually much of the time, (laughs) this road to resiliency involves distress. So it's going, this is why when I talk about the things involved in it, like how do we navigate it? What What is it about? Very much perspective taking and how we think, mm-hmm. right? Because if I perceive it, if I really go or I get caught in the sort of emotional contagion of the moment, like 
I don't know how long this is going to last. I've got nothing left. I can't do anymore, right? I'm, I'm apt to just be like, I'm, I'm just going to lay down. Yeah. I'm not going to get back up. You feel alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why that's another component of this. We, we spend a lot of time talking about and referencing back the value of social connection. We were designed to be connected to other people. So if I'm struggling and then alone, like I don't think anybody's in it with me, it is legitimately that much harder to practice getting back up. We're so tethered to other people, you know, like your emotion mm-hmm. influences my emotion. And if you have no other, you know, I don't want to really say energy source, but nobody else bringing some energy, it's hard. To, it's it's a one-way street. If your energy is going down and there's no other opposite to be bringing it back up, another social component, another person in your life, mm-hmm. it's possible that, you know, you will just keep going down the energy road of into the negative versus the positive. Right. Yeah. Right. But think about it, the difference when people talk to you, like you can talk to yourself because don't think you're crazy if you talk to yourself. We all do. We've covered that. (laughs) Right. The inner voice. (laughs) Yeah. But it sounds different when we hear it from outside of ourselves. I mean, it was ironic. I was having a conversation with my sister recently and she told me something that like, I had thought or like previously said to someone that I was working with to be encouraging. And I laughed out loud. I was like, that is so funny because I just said that (laughs) to someone else. But she was referencing it back to me as I was sort of saying, hey, this is hard and I don't like this. And so it was so humorous because I'm on both sides of the coin, right? I mean, I can help people as a profession, but it doesn't mean like I never struggle either. Well, yeah, everyone does. Just because uh, you've studied it all doesn't mean you have it all. You, you still have, you know, moments where you, even though you're educated around psychology, doesn't mean that you have all the bases covered. Right. You know? <laughs> right. There's going to be times when you're missing. <laughs> right. And I think this is exactly what drives me to pursue it further and to understand more and why I try to act like a scientist and go, what works? And why did that work in this case? But then over here, it was harder and, you know, or it felt more aversive mm-hmm. because that's life and and it's always changing. So if I'm looking at resilience as a sort of construct and going, how do I do better or be more resilient? You know, you can always think of this in sort of a three-tiered or three-pronged picture. And so we've got physical elements to it, right? Because we always have our bodies that we bring to everything we do. We have a physical structure, right? And then we've got the mental or psychological elements and then this social element, okay? So I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but taking care of the physical is pretty basic, right? According to the American Psychological Association, you know, self-care could be a popular buzzword, but it's legitimate practice for mental health and building resilience because stress is just as much physical as it is emotional. We've talked about this and sort of what happens with our brain and our body when we're under stress and our levels of cortisol go up, right? I get overwhelmed. It affects my thinking. I can't focus or concentrate, right? So this is why we have to consider what we're eating. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking enough water? 
and exercising. All of those things help us to adapt to stress and reduce its toll, right? So if I'm moving on then talking about more the psychological or sort of cognitive aspects, our perception is critical, right? Because it's not just what I'm going through, but my perception of it. Like, can you think of anything you've done, Adam, that, you know, maybe you had some thought about it before that it seemed like it was going to go well or enjoyable, and then you had the experience and it wasn't that, or vice versa. You thought, hey, this is going to suck. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, that's why I love mountain biking, because mountain biking is all about progressing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're a skilled rider only be, only once you sort of like gain these skills to sort of conquer certain technical terrain or a decline train. So a descent of some sort with some technical involved. And so there's definitely been several things as I become a better mountain biker, which isn't simply just getting on a bike and pedaling. It literally is. It requires strength and agility. It requires, you know, some sort of, you know, foresight in terms of the trail, being able to look far enough forward to see what you're, what's coming up and how to prepare for it in you know your stance and your ready stance or whatever it might be and so for me you know there's a place called spider mountain that uh i crashed pretty hard last year on and uh it was i love crashing to some (laughs) degree like it it teaches you to get back up it requires me to be resilient like that day i was crushed like i had crashed hard enough early enough in the day to ruin you know the whole entire trip for me because it was like it conquered my courage for the day. But, you know, the resilience is that I'm not going to stop mountain biking because of this crash. It's just going to make me think, like, how can I now go back to that same spot eventually and conquer that thing? And I'm working towards that, right? So I haven't, you know, thankfully the the pandemic has happened. And I haven't had a chance. And Spider Mountain is now closed because of things. But one day it will open again and we'll be good to go. But so I haven't had my chance to sort of redeem but still yet there's terrain that I face out there that I had once not gotten past and now get past easily. So that's my, how I look at it is like this physical force against me and also mental. It's very much a mental game because if you look at your perspective of this thing is once big and now you conquer it and become small, well, that's perspective. Yeah, right. I'm so glad you said that because that very much has to do with perspective taking in the sense of how do you think of failure? So, you know, a lot of people will see failure as a binary construct, right? And by binary, I mean either or. I either can do it or I can't. I'm sure before you went out riding, you weren't thinking like, ah, I totally can't do this, mm. right? There was a sense of I'm, I'm going to go try. I'm going to go have some fun, right? You were looking for the opportunity, right? Right. Part of the adventure is finding to discover what you'll find. Right. What terrain will 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 try, you know, try to defeat you or what you can defeat. Right. And I've heard it said a number of times, especially in the sporting world, like I've learned so much more from my failures than I did my successes. Yeah. So the the challenge is when we perceive or believe ourselves to have failed, it has a lot of feelings of disappointment, which you're talking about. You're like, man. Mm-hmm. That stunk. That was not what I wanted. But when you can see it as this sort of approximation and sort of as part of the learning process, it becomes fun 
And you then aren't as aversive, which then doesn't set off the cascading emotional events so that you sort of spiral down into the negative feelings, negative thinking, and then the lack of action. What do you think would happen if people took the negative things like that? So times when they fail or perceived failures, if, if every time you failed, it wasn't I failed, it was it's time to learn. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because that's life. I have had the opportunity to be much more involved in the sport of soccer than I ever have before. And I have fallen in love with it for just that reason, because it's a very fluid game. You've got community, right? You've got your team, another team, and you're playing offense and defense simultaneously, right? And it's shifting fast. And there's decision-making, there's strategy, there's skill. There's so many things with it. And so it's this perpetual exercise of effort. But if I see, oh, I, I failed, I didn't make that shot, or I didn't get this pass, or fill in the blank, it's going to disrupt my desire to try again. And that's where it's maladaptive. Mm. Because we want this perspective of try, try again, Try again. And this is sort of ironic given other episodes of like try harder. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, okay, maybe the try harder approach doesn't work in all cases, but in the concept of resiliency and life, of going, how can I get back up and and not really try harder, but try again, maybe a different way or route or constraints. Yeah. I think the just try harder is, uh, I look at that as, as sort of the mindless approach towards just trying, just trying with, with sure. no real wisdom involved. And I look at the try harder in the resilience lane as do it, do it with purpose and wisdom rather than just simply mindlessly just trying harder. Like you're sort of like swapping out components. What's going to work? You know, you're constantly kind of building this new puzzle to sort of like get to this picture. Right? That's how I look at those two is like just try harder is patronizing, whereas try harder in the resilience lane is more like do it with learning and wisdom. So maybe what you're getting at conceptually is what I'd call flexibility. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, do you mean in terms of a phrase having a negative or positive or a certain connotation? Well, like as it relates to the effort we put forth that I, I want to be flexible. So while I, I'm going to practice getting back up, the way I get back up, like, mm -hmm. you know, whenever you're learning a skill or sort of you fall down, sometimes you might need some other buffering, right? Like you you lower the resistance. So maybe you would try mountain if you're trying biking on a different course or a different That's terrain. That's what I did. When I, <laughs> when I crashed, I, I took the easy trails after that or the, in quotes, easier trails. Not all trails are easy. So it was just the easier of the available trails. So I just took it easier. And how'd that, that, how'd that go? It went fine. I, I still had fun that day. I still, you know, kept riding. I didn't just quit. Mm -hmm. Even though I crashed and I was hurting, I still got up and I still went out and rode. I just didn't ride as hard with the same amount of confidence because I had just had a pretty hard crash that shook me up. But I still rode. I didn't just put my bike in my truck and drive away, you know, and pack it up and leave. I stayed. So I got back up. And, you know, it's, it's a process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think I've mentioned this before. But coaching gymnastics and balance beam, girls fall a, a few times, <laughs> as yeah, you can imagine, on four inches of wood. But 
it was always so important, like within a really close approximation of time to get them back up on the beam. Right. The time between the fall and the get back up has to be really close. Pretty quick. Yeah. 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 Because the fear sets in, right? Oh, well, I've seen this recently too. I have an example. My So last Friday, uh, my son, four years old, is now a bike rider. He can ride a bike. So this is this is awesome stuff. Moments before he was a bike rider, he was saying, I can't do it. Dad, I can't. I can't. And he was telling me, buddy, listen, I'm right here with you. I'm supporting you. You've got this. And I just helped him through it and gave him, you know, the courage and reminded him he could do it and just had to keep trying. And so he he got to this point. But he, of course, like any new rider, you crash a couple of times. Thankfully, his crashes aren't that hard. They're just sort of falling over. But, you know, the in terms of like falling down and getting back up, I'm like, come on, let's go. Let's go. And I'm not like rushing him, but I'm supportively saying, let's go. Let's get back right back on and keep going again to get past this. Because if you let it sink in too long, your perspective changes. It does. Your perspective on what you're doing changes. The pain sets in to some degree. The mind kind of perspective of failure seems to set in or maybe even embarrassment because he looks up to me and he and I see him in his eyes failing and if that sets in, all sorts of like negative things begin to, the roots get to be planted in, and grow into something else it's not. Right. But do you see how learning is a critical process in that, right? The get back up and going, oh, I can try it again and do it a little bit differently. And that that also gets at this way in which our locus of control, like things that help us be more resilient is believing that. I actually have control over my life and my choices. Yeah. I mean, your son didn't have to get back up. Like, he could have pushed back and said, no, dad. I give up, yeah. Yeah. But he didn't. But he didn't. You know what he said? That's why I got these elbow pads on, dad. And he slaps his elbow. Because <laughs> they, they helped me with my fall. And he's just so cool. Like, the way he, that's why I got these knee pads and elbow pads on. They just, they protect me in my fall. And he gets uh. right back up. And I'm like, buddy, that's right. That's exactly why we have those things on us to protect us mm -hmm. so one we don't scuff up our elbows but then two because they're tools to use so it's just one more physical aspect in this tool belt if we have of like resilience of we have things like people even so a buffer in the case of bike riding might be an elbow pad but it might also be a person in a different context you know mm -hmm. having people who won't condemn you in failure is crucial right because if oh. you have people who condemn you in mm -hmm. failure they support that failure as being real and don't give you the resilience or opportunity to get back up. This is so paramount. Like I've heard it called failure recovery. Like we all have to get good at doing failure recovery. Mm. Right. That, you know, it doesn't mean, oh, I didn't mess up or I didn't get hurt or that didn't go well. But like, I'm OK. You're OK. We're OK. <laughs> like. This is part of learning, and it doesn't mean we're not disappointed, but we can see the value in it, right? And this is really, when I've looked at research, where if we're sort of looking at this idea of perfectionism, when it works well versus when it doesn't, and it's this sense of, oh, I was so close, like even though I erred or even though I fell down and got hurt, I'm that much closer to mm -hmm. approximating what I want where I want to get, how I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. I believe it was Thomas Edison quoted as this, and I have to double check and make sure. 
but he's quoted as saying, I haven't failed 10,000 times. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's it's perspective, right? Yeah. Glass half full, glass half empty. Mm-hmm. 10,000 failures or 10,000 attempts or 10,000 ways that don't work. Yeah. Because one day I will find the way that does. And so life and even, you know, upsetting circumstances are, are going to happen, but that we practice how do I get back up? It doesn't mean even sometimes we don't sit down for a few days. <laughs> yeah. Because we got really bludgeoned by some news or some other challenge. But the perspective of it goes, what do I have access to? What resources are available to me? How could I be flexible? Are there ways in which I can buffer? Like thinking about doing other tricks. I mean, just like your son said, this is why I got the pads. Dad, I've got this intercept, right? So that there's a buffering and it doesn't hurt to the same degree or in the same way. And I also have the opportunity to build my sense of strength and and belief in myself. Like even when it's hard or uncomfortable or scary, I I did it anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's the like internal feel good, like, yeah. I didn't need somebody to tell me I did a good job because like that sucked and it was hard and freaking, yeah, look at what I did. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it is nice though. And I wonder if you can have maybe specifically to this context of my son, like would he have the same kind of confidence if not so much that I gave it to him, but I didn't support him in getting it. You know what I mean? Like that if – um because it's easy to, to just give up on your own when you're isolated or when you're sure on your own in an endeavor. You know, he might not have the same desire to get back up and just try again, but that I supported him in finding it. Yes. Not so much giving it to him. You know, I didn't, you know, I'm not the power there. I'm just a component of discovery. Well, I would say you provided a sort of framework that was multifaceted because I suspect that you guys have talked about him needing his pads for protection Mm -hmm. at other points in time, right? Like this is why you wear a helmet and you have these other things, right? So there is language around it. There is an actual item that he had that helped buffering. And then you also had the layer of the social connection. So he knew he wasn't alone in it, right? I mean, think of how many things we, we are more prone to do because we know we've got somebody with us. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take risk if I know that even if I fail mm-hmm. or it doesn't work out, if I'm not alone mm-hmm. in the endeavor, I, I at least I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, how often do you hear that? At least I didn't do it alone. At least I didn't fail alone. Mm-hmm. It's not that you want somebody else to fail with you. It's just this aspect of being supported, mm-hmm. you know, not not being literally alone in a, in a situation. But I want you to think about it, too, in terms of a feedback loop, right? In terms of... He believed, and and I'm sure from other experiences, that he actually, you know, although he couldn't articulate this, but that he affected his achievements. Like, it wasn't just a chance or somebody else that enabled him to do it. And this is the beauty of really growth and learning and development and resiliency, wherein I did it. Like he had enough of a sort of scaffolding to that point to be able to then take the risk that it wasn't too big 
So he was willing to try. Yeah. Tangential, of course, but uh, one other aspect to on perspective, at least, is I also gave him some motivation to try harder because I'm like, listen, but when you when you get this, you see your little brother over there who's four months old. Mm-hmm. When he gets to be your age, you're going to help me teach him. Oh, you know, yes. like, and he was like, I want to do it good so that I can teach my brother mm-hmm. you know, and be a part of that. Yeah. And that's yep. perspective. You know, it's not just like a, an opportunity. It's perspective. It's like. You know, you, you know, this is bigger than just simply this one moment here. Mm-hmm. You know, once you master this, once you get past this moment, you'll have the skills and you can hand those down and influence your brother with me. Mm-hmm. And so we're a team in the future. So I'm sort of like building this new opportunity for future, like me and you as as friends and as dad and son and team to take what we're doing today, what we're conquering today, and it will have an, a new thing in the future with our my son, your brother. Right. And so would you say that that was empowering to him? Oh, yeah. Right? As soon as he heard it, he was like, yeah, let's do it. But you gave him a stronger why, a more positive emotion around the aversive or potentially aversive experience, right? Yeah. So I I think this is really important. So there's George Bonanno, who is a psychologist at Columbia University's Teacher College, and he heads up this lost trauma and emotion lab, which he's been studying resilience for like 25 years. And so what he has found as one of the central elements of resilience as whether or not you conceptualize an event as traumatic or as this opportunity to learn and grow. Mm. So he says... Events are not traumatic until we experience them as traumatic. So if I call something a traumatic event, I believe that it belies that fact, right? So I'm saying this was traumatic for me. Maybe it was, but it, it makes it more factual instead of saying it was a potentially traumatic event. So Every frightening event, no matter how negative it could be from the sidelines, has the potential to be traumatic or not to the person experiencing it. Let's just go back to name entertainment. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm, I keep hearing like you in the past and, and recently saying name entertainment. Because like if you have a – if you name this event as trauma, then it is mm-hmm. trauma. Right. And you're taming it by what you name it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a lion, you know? Right. Yeah. But this is why, like, if I imagine I'm assigning a label and I'm saying this was. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't certain things that are traumatizing. Yeah. But going, how do I react? Where do I go? What resources do I look to if that was overwhelming, painful, too big, too heavy, too scary, et cetera? I like this idea of turning failures into learning experiences because you can't avoid failing. No. <laughs> it's going to happen. Right. And if if you're out there and you have not had failure, I want to speak with you because I want to know what you've done to avoid it. But, you know, if we can all have that perspective of taking these things that happen to us that are possibly traumatic – Mm-hmm. failures of some sort and say, I'm going to use this as a vehicle for learning versus a vehicle for depression of mm-hmm. any sort. 
Yeah. So I'm not sure if we've mentioned this. Have we talked about grit as the concept from Angela Duckworth? Not that I'm aware of, no. Yeah. So she is a psychologist who really went into greater depth in studying like what is grit? Like what makes people gritty or able to be resilient? And so I think as far as I am recalling her background, she was a teacher in more inner city environment. And she was curious around sort of why some kids who were in really adverse um, situations still thrived, whereas others really didn't. And so why were they different? And she ended up doing research around, I believe it was West Point cadets, because there's a pretty rigorous sort of you know, formula acceptance, right? Like who gets in, they have to be sort of vetted according to um, certain criterions. Anyways, what she discovered in her research was really around effort. And so her equation for grit is this, talent times effort equals skill, skill times effort equals achievement. I'm gonna say it again, because it's super important. So talent times effort So what I start with times the effort I put forth equals the skills I get. But when I take the skills I get and I put forth effort, that gets achievement. So when I focus on learning, I can see one, I got an internal locus of control. Like I get to participate in my world and what happens to me. And I put forth effort in a direction over time in a certain way. I get to achieve more of what I want. Is there a psychological or a medical term for grit? Not that I'm aware of yet. Well, because uh, Angela also says that grit can grow, which is hopeful because like all things we think we're not good at, we think we'll be condemned to never be good at because we're not good today at it. And eventually if we work at it hard enough or continue to evolve our thinking around it, we can become better at it. She says that there's scientific evidence that grit can grow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it gets at this way in which we're pliable as humans, we're adaptable. And, you know, we know that our brains can change, hence what we call neuroplasticity. So if anything, grit as a skill and and life, look, nobody was born with everything they needed to get through life. Nobody. Nobody's like, I I got it. And I, you know, even if I did a full poll with my parents till 18 and it was amazing, like it doesn't mean that you got all the skills you're going to need throughout the entirety of your life. And so it's really learning how to be resourceful when you're met with obstacle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you said something earlier, but sort of circling back and recognizing that emotional control is a component of this. Because if I can't manage my feelings, if I am so out of control because I'm like, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, mm-hmm. right? Or I can't, I'll never. And that's what I'm telling myself. Like, I, I'm not going to have the sort of cognitive resources to be able to see different opportunities or options because I'm very narrow-minded trying to regulate the feelings and not the obstacle. So another person in the field of psychology that's added a lot around this concept of resiliency is Dr. Rick Hansen, who has done a lot of research and incorporating neuroscience around positive psychology, mindfulness, and he even wrote this book called Resilient, 
right? And it's very practical, super good, highly recommend it. And he sort of breaks it down in in going, these are our opportunities for how to respond when we encounter things that are hard and sort of three options of let it go. Like you have to practice just letting go of what you expected, how you wanted it to go. There's let it be, like it just is. I can choose to respond and just sort of accept what it is and move forward or let it in. Like let in the negative emotion, aversive experience, and what then, how do I sort of integrate that which I would prefer not to? So again, this gets at I get to choose. I participate in the choosing of things in my life and the way in which I respond to them because look, there's so many things that we're going to encounter that we didn't pick. Yeah. So there is and there are and there will be injustices throughout our lives. So while those things happen and when those things occur, how can I practice adapting instead of getting stuck in the sort of aversiveness, injustice, and emotional reactivity to that big thing. It seems like a core component of this is how to deal with the negative things that happen in life. Mm-hmm. Like how you compartmentalize those, how you release them, how you, your perspective on the negative, not so much come in, because there's positive too, of course, but like how you deal with the inevitable negative things that will happen in life. Mm-hmm. Right? Failing a, a grade doing terrible on a test, not hitting that achievement, falling down off the bar, crashing on a mountain on a mountain bike, you know, mm-hmm. crashing on a bike in your cul-de-sac, you know, like yeah. all these things are all failures of, or, or just you intended to do one thing and the opposite or not what you expected happened. Yeah. What is your perspective and framework for, you know, processing that scenario? Right. Like, how do I interpret or how do I make sense of disappointment? Right. When it occurs. Exactly. I I suppose, yeah, it's true. Like, disappointment is probably a better perspective there on that one because failure is, you know, it's a bigger word in in terms of like what it means and what it it encompasses. But you intended to do something, something different happened. Now what? Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's all about recovery. It's not about planning in advance and like, oh, I just prepare, 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 but rather like, you know, I I think about it with things that I navigate now professionally that, you know, when I was more of a novice, it was like, oh, wait, hold on. I got to get my bearings. I got to figure this out. And, you know, the flurry of questions as opposed to like, you know, okay, I, I know my level of skill and flexibility and, you know, if this, then that sort of things. But sometimes, and a lot of these, as a result of aversive experiences are like, whoo, that did not go the way I thought. Like, <laughs> I, I think I want to navigate that differently in the future. So I don't want to separate the feeling of disappointment and learning, mm. right? That learning is a part of Disappointment is a part of the learning process. So if I nix and I'm like, I don't want to feel bad ever. Yeah. Oh, shoot. I just cut myself off from the opportunity to grow. So you almost have to embrace even enjoy to some degree even the painfulness of disappointment and failure. Like you have to sort of like the whole process is a key component to learning. Right. And the point is, is to learn 
from whatever the scenario was for a future opportunity to potentially fail again, fall again, disappoint again, however you want to frame that, so that you can either get up or recover. I like the recover word a yeah. lot because like recovery, we can all recover. We're all uh, in a position to recover from something, and the recovery process is is bound to happen. It is. And so I think focusing on like because you don't you said it even it's not in the planning or the process and things like that like you often when making a plan to do something you never really you you often don't consider if things go wrong how will I recover yeah or how to best recover you right. often plan to do not plan to recover from not the way you intended it anticipated right like think I think about it analogous to like agility training in. Yeah physical fitness, right? Like there's a lot of value in training for agility because things might not go exactly the prescribed way or, or way in which I thought it was going to go. And, you know, this is why if we're talking about disappointment, the community and our social relationships are the fabric of our people matters. Because if I'm disappointed and I reach out as a sort of, you know, Olive Branch helped me like, hey, can you come back with some compassion? And I met with criticism or demeaning response or like, oh, man, yeah, you you really mucked that up. <gasps> That's like daggers. Mm-hmm. Right. You reinforce the existing negative thoughts that you're trying to suppress, I suppose, mm-hmm. you know, overcome, mm-hmm. not let win. Yeah. I mean, yes, I get share when I was in college, I went to school in a colder climate and it was like a sheet of ice. And I had a situation I was already upset because my roommate at the time had locked me out and my keys. So I, I couldn't go back into my dorm room at the time. And so I happened to come back and be able, my room was now accessible. And I was walking back out to meet up with a friend at that time. And I literally flung the door of the dorm open and stepped out onto this sheet of ice. And I, you know, like in slow motion, how you see it, like feet kicking up in the air, like totally splat on my bottom, which, of course, as you can imagine, if I was already angry, it didn't help the anger because now I'm angry and embarrassed and hurt. And then my friend who was waiting in the car, maybe not the best friend ever, like, fell out of the car laughing oh at me. Oh, my gosh. Right? That's a terrible and, friend. <laughs> right? And just like I'm already mortified. And then it's like, yes, like bring on the shame. Right. And, and then, you know, perpetuated the laughter, and it just felt horrible. I mean, I can laugh about it today because, you know, some time ago. But at that moment, it hurt, right? Like I was already upset. I was trying to do something and go somewhere, and I had this impediment, I finally got that resolved, only to then sort of make a fool of myself and hurt myself in the process. Mm. So, Did you get up? (laughs) I did get back up. I did. Are you still friends? (laughs) Well, yes, in distant friends. (laughs) So not really. (laughs) Well, life has its way of changing things. But I don't harbor that any longer, nonetheless. And it might seem like a silly example, but it still gets at the way in which people respond to us 
and how that makes a difference in how we feel and then what we're more prone to do. You know, we're talking, I guess, to some degree as the subject is the center, the failed person. But what do you do whenever you are the relationship to the person who failed? So the friend in the car, Uh, you know, how can we respond to other people's opportunity for resilience, opportunity for learning from these, these falls or these get back ups or these failures? Sure. Well, right. So in that case, it would have gone a lot better to be like, oh, that sucked. You okay? Like checking in more with me instead of, you know, the laughter. And it's not to say that in relationships too, that they're all different. So I mean, if you are more prone to already laugh at yourself in situations that 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 would play a role. But but really leading with empathy. You know, mm-hmm. think of all the times like, you know, you're on teams. A lot of people work in teams. And so what's your response to a team member who doesn't do what you need them to do? Or they do muck it up and it has implications for you. Like you now have to stay late at work because your team member messed up the project and now you get to get punished along with them, so to speak, because it really is leading with empathy and flipping the lens and go, if you were that person, how would you want to be treated? Mm-hmm. Because I think everybody knows it's already painful. Yeah. You don't need somebody to load more weight when you're already feeling disappointed. That's hard. Right? It is. The position of empathy is interesting because it's the missing component. We, you see often, you know, sort of uh, doubling down on or talking about other people's missteps, regardless of whom or severity, et cetera. It's, it's almost as if we thrive, not we as like you and I, but like the proverbial we, I think maybe even potentially just media, they thrive on somebody's failures and point it out and discriminate it and criticize it and slice and dice it 17 ways and right. shoulda, woulda, coulda. And I think the reason why I asked that was, you know, because we're often the person looking at somebody else's failure. How can we respond? What's a, a better way to respond if we're looking at the negative and trying to spin it positive? How can we take failures and take it as, as, as learning? How can I support somebody else in looking at a disappointment, a failure, as a learning opportunity instead of a position just to fall further down. Yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with you. It, it really does help when we lead with more questions or curiosity, right? Like to go, where were you at? Like what was your frame of mind when you said X, Y, or Z or when you did X, Y, or Z, you know, that I can find out more from them as opposed to me telling them, right? Think how good it feels when people tell you why you did something. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. And and really, who literally wakes up each day and is like, let me see, let me try to figure out how bad I can feel today, how much I can fail, everyone I care about, and myself. 
no, like we, we don't do that. And I mean, like there is just a sort of narrowing latitude for people to be people, right? I sort of joke and going, right? If social media, you know, was present back in my day as it is today, like would I cringe at what I would have posted at that time? Right. Mm. Because look, we're all in process. Like, I swear everybody should have the little figure, like the, like still loading, like as a t shirt. Like, we're all still loading. So, why is it, why do I think it's helpful to judge somebody else's process when I got my own? And just because mine doesn't look like theirs or theirs doesn't look like mine doesn't, mean it isn't valuable for learning to get them where they need to go to cultivate the skills they're going to need to to be their best selves. I don't want to hinder people from that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy being able to talk about these things because we can say these are the things we know about the brain and and ways in which we can be better humans and work better together. There isn't a sort of formulaic approach. It really does come down to going, how can I adapt? How can I be flexible? And how can I manage the aversive things and learn how to buffer them in terms of the way that I think, the people that I surround myself with, and adaptations I make to mitigate my perception of the threat? Because that's how we keep growing And that's how we keep learning. And that's how we get better. All right. Share your thoughts on resilience at changelaw.com slash brain science slash one eight. This is episode 18. Open up your show notes and click discuss on changelaw news. We'd love to hear from you. And we'd also love for you to join us in our Slack community. It's totally free to join. Talk about all things brain science. Head to changelaw.com slash community. Huge thanks to our partners who get it. Fastly, Linode, and Rollbar. Also, thanks to Break Master Cylinder for making all those beats. And if you want to hear more shows like this, subscribe to our master feed to get all of our podcasts. Head to changelaw.com slash master or go into your podcast app and search for Changelaw Master. You'll find it. It's one feed to rule them all. Get all of our shows as well as some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon.